So, I'm going to invite Stephen to come and pray. Oh, are you okay to do that, or do you want me to? You all right? All right, you and Samantha. Yeah? Oh, we just had such a blast this week. And uh, so, um, Stephen's going to kind of cover things while I'm going to get our First Nations elder. I I'm kind of have to be the one to go get them. So, he's going to help transition us after the service and just help cover Kate with prayer. And thanks again, Kate, for stepping up. So I'll let you do it. Sure. So Lord, we uh, thank you so much for Kate and just her heart that you have just created her in your image. And we ask for your blessing over her, your empowerment of your Holy Spirit to share what's on her heart for this day for us to receive. So we ask for freedom. We ask for um, just courage to be poured out as we look into your word. So bless Kate now and protect her heart, we pray, in all these things. In your lovely name, Jesus. Amen. You're welcome. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah. Great. It's wonderful to be up here this morning. It's a real privilege to be asked to share. Um, my name's Kate, and I'm married to that guy back there on the, or on the overheads, Nathan, um, also known as Nate. If you forget us, we're Nate and Kate, kind of cute. Um, and it's so delightful to be here with Chelsea and her husband, Nathan, this morning. Chelsea and I met over 10 years ago, I think, in Halifax um, at a church I worked for there. Chelsea came to lead worship and do some of her music, and it's just, her voice is just wow. Um, so she's also um, full of integrity and generosity, and it's just wonderful to have her here and to meet Nathan for the first time. So beautiful how you're worshiping together. Um, the lectionary reading for today was the beheading of John the Baptist, um, and I was having trouble connecting that to the theme of spiritual practices, um, which is the summer sermon series. Um, if anyone has a wonderful idea of how those two might have come together, spiritual practices, the beheading of John the Baptist, I'd love to talk to you after about your ideas. Um, so our theme for this year at the church has been being lovingly present to ourselves, to one another, and to God. Um, and last week, Joanna's sermon focused on being lovingly present to ourselves um, and to the amazing sensory world that God's created. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to her message, it's really beautiful. Um, it's on the podcast. I'm going to continue along with this theme of being lovingly present, but being lovingly present to one another. And we're going to take Jesus as our example in the road to Emmaus story in Luke 24. And just to um, 
lead into this message. Uh, many of you know I work for Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries where we prepare people of faith to support mental health recovery in their communities. And um, some of this material today comes from sanctuary material. Some comes from Dr. Susan Phillips and some comes from Pastor Lee Kosa. Just to put that out there, this is not all my material. And as we journey together through this story, it's my hope that we'll recognize some of the spiritual practices of companionship that we see um, Jesus offer to the disciples on the road. And I'm also just aware that there are people here in our community today who are, are grieving or who are going through really difficult times with loved ones. Um, and I just, I pray that as we journey through that you would sense um, Jesus' presence with you as you walk through those things. Um, so this is Luke 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And the same day, they're referring to uh, their, the third day after Jesus' crucifixion. And in the English, it's not as obvious, but the word for talking and later the word for discussing is actually a term meaning um, agitated and distressed in Greek. So these two are sort of struggling as they're walking along this road. They're trying to figure out what has happened um, to Jesus. Uh, he's gone, and they're in the midst of sort of mental anguish and struggle. And they put all of their hope in, in Jesus, that he would be the one who would come and restore um, uh, everything, that he would release them from Roman oppression and set them free. And here they are um, without him, uh, just wondering what, what to make of their lives. So who are these two on the road? Um, well, we know they're not the 12 disciples. They're not the closest inner circle of Jesus because these two then go and speak to the 11 um, after they have uh, had this experience with on the road. Um, and some believe that one of the disciples may have been Luke, um, so that's a possibility. But we do know from the text that one of them is called Cleopas. And some think that the companion with him is actually his wife. And the reason that they think that is in John 19, verse 25, um, we see at the cross Mary, Jesus' mother, and then it says um, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So some surmise that Clopas and Cleopas are actually the same person. And it's possible that these two walking along the road um, were husband and wife. So Cleopas and his wife, the aunt of Jesus, um, which kind of puts a different spin on things. A lot of commentaries talk about this passage as two men having an intellectual debate about what has happened in Jerusalem. Um, but it could very well be that this is a discussion between a husband and a wife um, as he tries to console her um, having just seen her nephew nailed to a cross. So that's a very different scenario, and we can only really speculate who these two are. Um, but one thing I think it's fair to assume is that they're in emotional and mental distress induced by trauma. And what does Jesus do in this moment? He comes and he walks with them. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. 
So he walks with them. He approaches them. He comes alongside shoulder to shoulder. He doesn't get out in front and run ahead and say, come with me, I'll, I'll tell you everything that you need to know. Um, instead, he walks beside them as a companion on the journey. And I really think this is an incredible thing because here we have the resurrected Christ who has um, conquered death and holds all of existence in his hands. And here he is posturing himself as a fellow traveler on the road. It's a tremendous amount of humility in that posture. And I think it's a really beautiful example for us as we seek to walk alongside others, um, that we're fellow travelers on the road. We're alongside. What would I have done in this situation? Well, maybe some of you are thinking what you might have done. Um, I would have told them. I would have said, don't worry, it's me. Don't be sad, I'm here. Um, but he doesn't actually do that. And instead, he chooses to journey with them, being present to their pain. And he doesn't value his own position or perspective ahead of theirs, because he has a very different position and perspective as the resurrected Christ. But he actually values their position and perspective. And he makes space for them as he walks in their midst. And I imagine these two started to feel at ease with this person, this one who made himself present to them. What does he do next? Does he launch into a speech? Nope. He asks them a question, a question which he obviously knows the answer to. What are you discussing together as you walk along? Essentially, what's going on for you right now? Um, and this question allows them to begin to process. Um, there's one version, one translation reads, um, what conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk along and are sad? So Jesus is identifying their emotion. He's helping them to process what's going on internally for them. Um, the second part of this verse is they stood still, their faces downcast. So their emotions are coming to the surface as Jesus creates space for them to process. And Theopas replies, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And I find this rather comical that Jesus' response is, what things? He knows what things. He was the center of what things. Um, he was the, in the center of all the action. So he clearly knows the answer to this question, but instead he gives them um, an opportunity to continue to process what's going on for them. And I really can relate to this part, because sometimes when someone's going through a hard time, I think I know what things, you know? I have the answers, I have sort of some solutions that might be helpful, but even if you do have the right answers, which Jesus clearly does, um, it's really helpful uh, to instead create space for the other person to process what's going on for them. And it can actually stifle someone's process um, to begin to provide answers to them. So I want us to take a moment, and I want you to imagine that you're with a friend. And you're with a friend who's in the midst of suffering. Maybe they're going through a difficult time. And I'm going to read this passage to you, and I want you to engage with the feelings that you see in this passage. Not the content, not the grammar, but what's going on for them underneath the surface as they, as they share with Jesus. 
They said, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. What emotions do you hear underlying that, that passage? Anxiety. Yeah. What else? Rick? Depression. One more time. Depression. Depression. Great sadness, yeah. What else? The end of hope. The end of hope. Grief. Grief? And what did I miss, Discouragement. Discouragement, totally. All of those things are there. And maybe even also some confusion, just bewilderment. What the heck is going on? Um, and I imagine that, this is where I just want to touch quickly on this practice of spiritual listening as we're walking with others, um, that we're really listening for the deeper underlying emotion of what's going on for a person. Um, I like the Chinese character for the verb to listen. Um, is there anyone here who can actually read this character? <laughs> Jen, can you read it? Yeah, yeah, there's a 10. There is a 10. Um, there are a number of different parts actually to this, um, to this character. There's actually an ear as part of it that um, sort of indicates to listen. There's a king, which indicates paying attention to another person as if they were royalty. There's a ten and an eye, suggesting that you should be observant as if you had ten eyes. There's a one, which suggests listening with individual attention to. And there's also a heart, which implies listening with your heart, so your whole body. Um, I think that's such a beautiful picture of this kind of listening that we can provide to people as they're in the midst of trauma and emotional distress. So we see Jesus listening to them. So he's drawn near to them in their suffering. He's walked with them, and he's listened for the cry of their hearts. And then he responds. After listening to them, he speaks. And what does he say? He says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ah. Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it, at first? It's like, you idiots, read your Bible more. Um, something like that. But we might actually hear it that way um, because we've heard those kind of messages before from people, maybe we've even given that kind of advice to people. Um, but I don't actually think that's what's going on here. I don't think Jesus is being harsh and judgmental and condemning. Um, he says this after he's walked with them, listened to them and heard the longings of their hearts, and after he's given space for them. And then he actually responds to what they've been saying. He says, how foolish are you? It's kind of like he's saying, wow, your minds and your hearts aren't working together very well right now. And that is a really common experience for people who've been through um, trauma or distress or emotional um, pain, is this thing where their hearts and their minds aren't 
quite working. So that's one way of interpreting that passage is that Jesus is saying, you know, your hearts and minds aren't working well right now. And then he sort of walks them through the scriptures about himself. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus told them the narrative of his own life, um, foretold in, the, in, the, in scripture, and lived in their own lifetime, yet they still didn't recognize him. And they begin to approach the village, um, and they invite Jesus to sit and have a meal with them. And Gordy's pointed out a few times, and this is something we're even going to do today with our neighbors, is just this ministry that Jesus um, offers in the breaking of the bread, in sharing a meal together. It was a really intimate and trusting act to share a meal with others in the ancient world. So, um, yeah, this is kind of a vulnerable thing that Jesus is doing, sharing this meal with them. Okay. So when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. So it's in the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the meal that they recognize Jesus. And some suggest, you know, maybe it was the way he was sharing it with them that they'd, the inclination of his speech was similar to what they'd experienced when he'd broken bread before, or that um, the way he held the bread and offered it to them reminded them of a previous experience, or that even in that moment, Jesus lifted the spiritual veil that maybe prevented them from recognizing him. But, I'll try and do this. So I want you to watch what happens as I take this bread. I'm gonna offer it to Christine here if that's okay. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to, oh, there we go. Okay, so I've broken the bread and I'm offering it to her. What do you notice about my sleeves? Yeah, please take it. So I broke the bread. Oh, yeah, your hands. Yeah. Yeah, or your, and your wrists. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. So some people think that in offering the bread, you're free to keep that if you want, um, that in offering the bread to the disciples that he actually revealed the scars on his wrists. And that in that moment, um, they recognized him as the risen Christ. And the, the Greek word we translate for hand actually means this whole area of the arm. And we know um, from archaeological evidence that the Romans crucified through the wrists. And physiologically, our, the tendons in our hands aren't strong enough to support a, a human body. So it would have been in his wrists that um, Jesus had these wounds and scars. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, please pass it around. And break some bread together. And it's in this moment this unveiling occurs and they realize it's Jesus who's been with them all along. I heard Joanna quote Gordy last week. She said something like, um, Jesus was present with them until they recognized what they already knew. That leads me to this painting by Caravaggio. It hangs in um, the National Gallery in London. It was painted in 1601 and it's called The Supper at Emmaus. And hundreds of years after this painting was completed by Caravaggio, it was cleaned by a museum. 
don't know if you can tell the difference. This is a bit brighter in that one. Slide. And as they were restoring this painting, they noticed something. I don't know if you can see it, but under Jesus' left hand, there's a shaft of light that shouldn't really be there unless the light was shining through his wounds. What does this mean? How does Jesus respond to people who are hurting? He walks with them. He listens to them. He responds to them. And he reveals his scars, his own vulnerability, his own wounds. He becomes, as Henry Nouwen described, a wounded healer. I love the line from the Leonard Cohen song, Anthem, um, ring the bells that still can ring, forget your perfect offering, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And as we find the courage to bring our own scars and wounds into the light of Christ and into the light of community, um, when we find the bravery to do that, we invite Christ to shine into our wounds and ultimately shine through them to offer hope to the weary and hurting. Heard um, Joanna share some of her own story, Gordy sharing some of his story, just of um, emotional pain, mental distress, openly in this community. Um, that is a really beautiful gift and offering um, where we can offer hope, um, redemptive hope to others. So Jesus provides a model for us as we walk with others in emotional distress. He draws near. He walks with them. He listens to them. He draws out their experience. He shares from his own story. He breaks bread with them. And he reveals his own scars. And when Jesus reaches out to his hurting friends, they're able to see um, what was there all along. That he was there all along. When we journey with others in the way of Jesus, we can also become aware of Christ's presence in the midst of our pain. Let me pray with you. Jesus, we thank you for the model that you've given us to walk alongside others. The model of drawing near of listening, of responding, and of being vulnerable with our wounds and scars. And I pray that this day you would help us as we connect with our neighborhood, that we would listen well as we break bread together. I pray for each one of us who's walking through grief or pain or trauma, or sickness. God, that they would know your presence in the midst of all of it, in the midst of the pain. And that we would be present to each other in ways that we all know that we're not alone. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you very much. Um, we are early. And so what I'm going to suggest is, um, you know, if you, uh, first of all, uh, Nate and Chelsea will be back at the table. I'll go and visit them and uh, kind of learn more about what's going on in terms of their organization, how they're helping kids. Um, I think uh, we're not going to start till 12, but feel free to also make your way outside and just hang out and chat with the, the neighbors out there. Um, and, uh, you know,